You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, before we get started with today's game, just wanted to tell you that we are excited to take part in the second edition of the best trivia calendar in the history of the world. That's right, our friends Jonathan Oakes from Oakes Media Group and Katie Sikelski over at The Inkling have invited us, Triviality, to submit one week full of questions for the 2021 Everyday Q&A Trivia Calendar. If you would like to order this calendar, you can go to triviacalendar.net. And once you get it in the mail, you will see one week full of questions in our Triviality style. We hope that you figure out what those questions are and maybe try to figure out which hosts wrote them. But if you'd like to order that calendar, which we very much encourage, please go to triviacalendar.net. And thank you once again to Katie and Jonathan for including us this year. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. The cream of the crop. Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. I am here in my void, but joined over Skype uh, with Jeff and Ken. How is it going, gentlemen? You came in pretty strong today with kind of like a hello. I was going to really enjoyed it. I was going to go full hello, hello, but I didn't. (laughs) Um, It's been a hot one, though. That's for sure, right? Like seven inches from the midday sun, Neil. Uh, Is that a porn? What is that? (laughs) it's uh smooth by santana and rob thomas oh i remember in marching band we had to play that and we went to northern illinois university for band day uh and i just in all the bands played smooth and it was for a performance i don't know if you were there ken it might have been when i was a freshman but um i just literally could not hear the song smooth one more time or i was gonna just go insane but we played it you know all day for hours trying to get ready for this halftime performance no, the only thing I remember about those uh, band days was the uh, tremendous amount of swass everyone would have because it was always like marching outside with a thousand people and it was 90 degrees. Yes. Yeah. A lot of swass and swalls, that's for sure, especially in the full band uniform. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been a pretty hot one out here. Uh, Jeff and I were kind of joking um, a while back. Uh, well, happy anniversary, Jeff. But a while back, uh, Colleen and I, um, not, I don't want to give too much information away, but we we had a plan to sort of and Jeff can elaborate, uh, set him up a little bit. And, uh, there's a, there was a great restaurant that's gone now, tragically, uh, called whisk, which was a Ron Swanson themed breakfast place, uh, off of parks and rec. And we, uh, took, uh, Jeff and our, our friend Angie there. And, uh, it was like 95, I think, but I really wanted to sit outside to have my hot coffee. And I remember Jeff, Angie and Colleen all were just sweating profusely and it was probably not a fun time. Yes. So the, Basically, the the short story here is Neil and Colleen tried to set me up with my now girlfriend, and my only abiding memory of that day was being horribly uncomfortable as I watched Neil sip a hot coffee in nearly 100-degree weather while I was literally dying. And uh, <laughs> it was still a fun time, but it was uh, – yeah, it, it, it was my first inkling to what a either a coffee hound or a sociopath you might be. Your, your pick, Neil. Or both. And let's not – Let's not forget your other friend, Ken, who kept saying, dude, she's so into you. It'll work. Yeah. We don't need to delve into how much of an idiot I am. Sometimes it's fine. But hey, ultimately it worked, right, Ken? 
That's right. And uh, Jeff just left the call. So I guess I guess he's just done with this conversation. <laughs> he, was, he was so done with the conversation. He had to leave. Well, um, before Jeff gets back, uh, we have some special guests to introduce. Uh, let's start with our special uh, guest first before we get to the host. Uh, he's coming to us from Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, we've been trying to get him on the show for a long time. We're so happy he's here. Uh, it's very early where he's at right now. Uh, and uh, he's also a Patreon supporter. Um, and we'll let him talk a little bit more about that and one of the things we did for him. But uh, welcome to the show, Ryan Boyd. How's it going? Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a nice um, cold winter's morning down here in Auckland. And yeah, happy to be here. And uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am. Uh, I work for a bank down here uh, doing social media stuff. Um, married with a beautiful three-year-old daughter. And uh, yeah, that's 36. What do you need to know? <laughs> Well, wonderful. Uh, we'll appreciate you being here and for being a, a Patreon supporter. And before we uh, move on to our special guest host, you and I are going to be a team today. Uh, and the name comes from one of the uh, audio recordings that you got for being uh, a United States champion. Do you want to talk a little bit about what we did for you? Sure. So um, I asked Neil to record a special out of um, you know, a voicemail message for me in the style of he does when um, one of the other guys are missing from the podcast. So um, basically when someone calls me and they don't answer, which is usually, um, it uh, tells them that I've gone searching for the secret of the ooze and um, confuses a lot of people, but it's uh, very, very enjoyable to see their reactions. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about the ooze quite a bit today. So Ryan and I are going to be team secret of the ooze um, and uh, on the other side of the aisle, who's going to be hosting the game today, another United States champion on Patreon, and he's coming to us from Waverly, Iowa, and that is Elliot Kuchera. How's it going, Elliot? Hello! It's going good! <laughs> there it is. We've got a full hello there. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so, uh, I'm originally from Waterloo, Iowa. Uh, I just recently finished up my first year of teaching in Clinton, Iowa as a 5th through 12th grade uh, instrumental music educator. Uh, it was a great year to have your first year of teaching. I can tell you that much. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's been a great time down there. Uh, I enjoy teaching uh, music as well as playing tennis. Uh, I'm also a tennis coach in my free time because it's the only sport where I look slightly coordinated while playing it. Uh, but yeah, it's been a great great time uh, out out of college so far, minus quarantine. <laughs> awesome. And what's your what's your main instrument? Uh, my main instrument is clarinet, but I really love playing ocarina. Wow, very nice. Ah, that's a Zelda reference, I think. It, it showed up in Zelda, but it's a lot older than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know how to play an ocarina. It's like A, B, down C. Yeah, it's like right A, C. down right A. Yeah, <laughs> super easy. Exactly. That's all it takes. Uh, well, uh, you're coming to us from Waverly, Iowa. So I just I had to mention this because it's such a random occurrence. But uh, a web series that my friend Kevin and I did called uh, hashtag Who Killed Heather. Uh, we just picked Waverly, Iowa at random because uh, I went to University of Iowa. But we picked a smaller town, and that is the town that the web series takes place in. Uh, that the oh. crime murder uh, city, <laughs> and uh, we actually used I think we used the real Waverly, Iowa police department's number for our fake. Uh, advertisements saying that someone was missing so hopefully they didn't get Ooh. too pissed off but yeah probably not nothing exciting happens around here anyway all right well if, <laughs> if you want to see something exciting happen in waverly then check out the web series um well thank you both for for joining us um as i said ryan and i are going to be team secret of the ooze what about you uh jeff and ken well i uh watched yesterday again uh lars von trier's controversial film the house that jack built so I think today we're going to oh. be the house Ooh. that Jeff built. Uh, well, um, that's going to be the house of Jeff built versus secret of the ooze. Unfortunately, uh, Matt isn't here today. He's uh, going for the search for the original doll used in the inspiration of Curious George, uh, who sometimes went by the name Fifi or Zozo. Uh, we wish him luck. I you were going to say the Annabelle, the Annabelle doll. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's trying to get Annabelle and Curious George together in the same room to see what kind of magic can happen. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we wish our best to him. So good luck, Matt. And uh, let's throw it to the rules guy to see how this game is played. No, Neil. Let's throw it to Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, that's even better. Triviality Podcast is two rounds of 20 questions worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there's a special swing round by this week's host. In the final round... 
players wager points they've earned for a chance to become the cream of the crop. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I guess that means, Elliot, you can take it away. We're ready to go. All right. We're going to start off with round one, question one. Your category is round one, fight. What 1987 arcade game, now practically synonymous to fighting games, had two cabinet releases? One with the now familiar six buttons for light, medium, and heavy punches and kicks, and a deluxe version featuring two giant pads that would respond to how hard you beat the crap out of them. Still no clue how hard you got a punch for a Hadouken, though. All right, Jeff Nile, go ahead and lock in here. Mm-hmm. All right, so Ryan, um, the clue of the Hadouken, I mm. think, is Street Fighter, right? Yeah, it's got to be. Now, yeah. have, have you seen the Jean-Claude Van Damme adaptation of Street Fighter, Ryan? I have not. Okay. That'll be on, on Should the Should I top. put that on my list? or Very low on the list, but at least put it on there. <laughs> but one thing I got to say is uh, today I'm going to kick Neil's ass so hard that the next Neil wannabe is going to feel it. And we're saying uh, Street Fighter. And both teams locking in with Street Fighter. Absolutely correct. From humble beginnings, Street Fighter originally wanted your knuckles to bleed for that crisp Shoryuken. Shout out to uh, everyone, or we know here, Mark P. Smith, uh, one of the editors that I work with and a friend. Uh, his favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movie is Double Impact, where he says, take your black silk underwear and get out. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to question number two. Category is number what with a bullet? Possibly because they were too busy asking whether or not they could before asking if they should, the stainless Marlin 1895 rifle has been rated for hunting bear, deer, hog, moose, and is the only firearm in the entire world to also be rated for what, due to its appearance and use in a popular 2015 film. Okay, I think Ryan and I are going to lock in here. All right, that's good, because this is a little challenging for us, I think. So 2015, is that too early for the Jumanji remake, maybe? Um, or what about Jurassic World? I'm thinking dinosaurs, for some reason. Oh, that's clever. That would be about the right time for that, yeah. All right, so we're going to say uh, dinosaurs. Uh, yeah, so I know my Jeff Goldblum pretty well, so um, picked up on the clue. Um, so yeah, we also locked in with, uh, dinosaurs. Yep. Favored by Owen Grady in 2015's Jurassic World. This firearm is rated to hunt T-Rexes. Nice job, everyone. All right. We're moving on to question number three in round one. Category is 15 years of domination. In the tennis world, the big three has come to refer to the three most dominant men's singles champions the sport may ever see. In fact, since the French Open in 2005, only four other men besides Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal or Novak Djokovic have managed to win one of the four Grand Slams. For 10 points, name any one of these giant slayers. And for five bonus points apiece, name the other three. And if you'd like, I can tell you which slams they won as well. All right, a lot of points up for grab with this question. Um, so me and Jeff are going to talk. But Neil, isn't 15 Years of Domination the uh, title of your S&M script that you've been working on? <laughs> It is. It's it's a it's a sequel that just keeps going, and it's definitely going to be starring Sting, who we're going to package it with. Don't say package. Well, it's a Hollywood term. It means put actors and directors together to go out and sell it. So uh, we have some bad answers, uh, but we think we at least have the correct answer for the uh, the top one. So. All right. Uh, so they're locked in over there. Uh, Ryan, you and I both aren't big on tennis. Um, the first person I said is, is how about the British guy? And you named who? Uh, um, is it Andy Murray? I think I just know Murray. I think Murray. Yeah. Um, and then you said, uh, you came up with Roderick mm -hmm. and then I was scratching my head trying to think of an, as an Australian guy. And I think Leighton Hewitt is, um, that's what I was trying to think of. Hewitt. And then, um, so we've got three and then for the fourth, I don't think we're going to come up with a. Yeah, I think he's too early, but I, I know Pete Sampras won quite a few Grand Slams or championships, so let's just, I don't think it's right, but we can put him in there. So Murray, Roderick, Hewitt, and Sampras. Yeah, we uh, we locked in with Andy Murray. I know there was a, another Swiss player that won a couple, but I don't remember the name. So other than that, for the bonus, we're just going to guess a couple <laughs> older tennis players. We're going to go uh, Andre Agassi. Uh, Pete Sampras and Andy Roddick. 
All right. Well, 10 points are going to go to both teams. You all both managed to pull Andy Murray, who plays for Great Britain. Uh, he won the U.S. Open in 2012, and then in 2013 and 2016, he won the Wimbledon. Uh, you were right that there was another Swissman that won, uh, winning the Australian Open in 2014, the French Open in 2015, and the U.S. Open in 2016 was Stanislas Wawrinka. Uh, the winner of the U.S. Open in 2014, Marin Cilic. And finally, winning the U.S. Open in 2009, Juan Martin Del Potro. I thought uh, Stanislavski was just a Russian theater teacher and not also a tennis player. It's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on now to question number four, classical music history. Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven wrote a disgustingly large amount of music, and keeping all of it straight was a difficult task. Thankfully, a few people throughout history went out of their way to organize and catalog each composer's canon of pieces. For Bach, his pieces are known by their BWV number, or Bach's works number. Beethoven is cataloged by their opus number. What single letter is assigned to compositions written by Mozart, which means they must be pretty all right? Well, cataloging all that must uh, be a lot to handle, but uh, I think I think uh, we texted something back and forth, so we're going to lock in. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I have very little. I know nothing about um, this area, so I'm going purely on the clue of what's a letter that means pretty all right. And if I've come up with like whether it's a grade, like a, a B grade or something like that, or um, I don't know anything other than that. I think I'm, I'm on the same wavelength as you about that being a clue, something that's pretty all right. The only thing I can come up with is sometimes when people text, instead of saying like, all right, or okay, they'll put like K or KK. Mm. Um, yeah, that came across my mind as well. So yeah, I'm happy to go with K if, um, if uh, you are. Yeah, I don't know what it has anything to do with Mozart, but um, I guess if that's the clue that he was giving, that does kind of make sense. We can go with that. Yep, Ken and I pretty quickly settled it on the same, and we went K. Yeah, so how good is Mozart's music? It, it's K. Uh, it stands for the Kochel Catalog, or however you say that, K-O with the two dots above it, C-H-E-L, uh, named after the guy that cataloged it all for him. So nice job, everyone. I love a good umlaut. All right, we are off to question number five. Uh, this is a question that I stole from the Iowa State Quickie Quiz, which is a six-hour radio quiz that they do every year. It's a wonderful time. Uh, category is there's how many now? If I gave you the sequence 151, 251, 386, 493, 649, 721, 809, and 894, what would I be describing? All right, we'll lock in with a pretty bad guess. <laughs> okay, so they're locked in over there. Ryan and I were really uh, going back and forth here because, you know, we said, well, maybe it's the amount of numbers in between the pairs, you know, 10, 35, 107. Um, I brought up Fibonacci sequence because that's always in all the movies about codes and things like that. But I don't, And Ryan corrected me and said, you know, that's a spiral. Um, anything, Ryan, from your end or no? Um, I have absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, I tried to do the differences in between the numbers, but even that takes me so long because I'm terrible at math. But um, and I, I got nothing. Um, nothing at all. We're gonna say that this is the password to the annexation of Puerto Rico football play from Little Giants. <laughs> And I just uh, didn't want to do the math at all. And I just said, hey, maybe these are uh, airplane model numbers. Well, you would have been on the right track to not be doing the math. If I were also to tell you that this first number represents red and blue, the second number represents gold and silver, and the third represents uh, ruby and sapphire, would that help anyone get there? Uh, yeah, the number of Pokemon in each game. Correct. This is the total number of Pokemon per generation of the game, all the way up to Sword and Shield with 894 Pokemon. Wow. All right, guys. When in doubt, it's a video game question. Let's. <laughs> that's why. That's why I didn't know it, Ken, because the only number on there that should have it should just be 151, 151, 151. It's the only one that matters. That's right. I'll get off my old man's soapbox <laughs> about Pokemon now and how all the new ones aren't real. Well, I've got to ask, were you were you red or were you blue? Oh, I, was, I was a Pokemon red. Ah, nice. Man of culture. If he beats us today, he's going to be purple <laughs> afterwards, that's for sure. 
Uh, after five questions, Pokemon Black and Blue. Black and Blue, yeah. Um, <laughs> also a Backstreet Boys album. Uh, we are tied at forty to forty uh, after five questions. All right, and that brings us to question number six. Your category is run underscore question dot exe. What popular internet flash series was originally conceived when Mike and Matt Chapman visited a local mall in 1996 and realized that all of the children's books were not good? So in order to satirize this medium and satiate their boredom, they created their own little book for fun about a character entering the strongest man in the world contest. While the book never caught on very well, the characters and world they created have since spawned a number of internet series, a set of video games, merchandise, and overall entered the cultural zeitgeist. What is the name of this web series featuring a strong family that also made a cameo appearance in Guitar Hero 2? Yeah, I think we're okay, Ken. I don't know this one for sure, Ryan. I just, I know there was like a famous web thing with Homestar Runner. I've actually never seen it, uh, surprisingly, but is it, does that ring a bell? I've never heard of it, no. None, none of that uh, rang a bell to me at all, unfortunately. So, yeah, Homestar Runner, I'm... I don't even know what it is. I know people love it. They, they make jokes about it. Um... I knew it was big, like when the internet first started, so I could see that being why it took off. So, do you, uh, do you want to just go with that? Yeah, yeah, happy to. Okay, Homestar Runner. I'm just going to let you know that, in my humble opinion, the world is missing out on flash videos these days. Um, yes, uh, Homestar Runner featuring Strong Bad. Uh, I'm assuming that's the strong in question. Absolutely. Um, was the first Classic. podcast I ever downloaded on my iPod back in the day. So, yeah, I'm pretty familiar. We're going to go Homestar Runner. That's absolutely correct. And that was the piece that appears in Guitar Hero 2 as a secret song. Uh, Strongest Man in the World contest featured the character Homestar Runner trying to lift a tremendous amount of grapes with appearances by Pom Pom, The Cheat, and Strong Bad. All right, we're over to question number seven. Your category is World War One Battles. From February 1st to December 18th, 1916, this battle would come to be one of the bloodiest of the Great War. It saw the German forces advancing on the battle's namesake, Fortress City, in France, capturing Forts Dumont and Vaux on their warpath before eventually succumbing to French resistance just two miles away from their target. The battle ended up proving to be a turning point in the war as the French resistance repelled the attack and forced the German forces back to where they were ten months prior. Okay, so I mentioned something that kind of rang a bell to me, and I think we're going to go ahead and lock in here. Ryan and I were discussing. Um, Ryan, you had a... a a lock on possibly a French word that could be the name of the battle? Uh, I, there's something in the back of my head there, but I'm just really struggling to pull anything out. Um, the only thing that I was able to get out is Dardanelle, but I don't even know if that's the right war. So, um, yeah. That I, sounds better than anything I'm going to come up with. Dardanelle, the Battle of Dardanelle or Dardanelle Occupation, whatever you want to call it. I think that sounds good. Okay, let's look with Dardanelle. Yeah, we kind of have one of those... Um, like risk of saying something completely wrong answers to uh jeff and i listened to a little bit of uh, hardcore history on one of our vacations and uh tried to get through the world war one uh series a couple times and keep stopping at the same point uh ironically but uh, by a little bit s- 10 means about seven hours <laughs> we're gonna say uh verdun verdun yeah, uh, so resulting in about 600,000 casualties in total, partly due to uh, General Falkenhayn's plan being a war of attrition where they advanced without regard for losses. This was indeed the Battle of Verdun. Oh, I, I was thinking of that, but I thought it was fictional because in Edge of Tomorrow, they they lose poorly at Verdun, and that's what they're trying to win. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Good poll. Uh, and one other quick comment. Uh, the Dardanelles campaign is one of the other names for the uh, Gallipoli campaign, uh, where British and French forces uh, attacked the Turkish forces. Yeah, that's where I got it from. Gallipoli yeah. is a big deal in New Zealand history. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to move over to question number eight. Your category is bougie booze. Fortunato could probably tell you a lot more than I can about this sherry, named after the region of Spain it was originally developed in in the 18th century though now it's frequently just a label for a wine between Fino and Oloroso. We're locked in. I'm trying to think. Is Sherry the one where they, they give you the, the really tiny glass and it's like more potent? Yeah, it's like a fortified wine, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that means it's like a dessert wine. Or it's not a mead, yeah. right? No, I think it's a dessert wine. Do you, do you, do you have anything? Um, I'm just trying to think of Spanish regions, which is, again, not a strong point. Um, but... Um, um, do you just want to say, um, 
I don't know, mold wine? Sure. Okay, that's yeah. what we'll lock in with. All right, so Jeff has rejected invite after invite from me to come see my <laughs> wine cellar. I've got this great cask of Amontillado down there that I want to show him, and for whatever reason, he just won't come. So uh, we're going to say Amontillado. Yeah, according to Edgar Allan Poe, Fortunato is quite the fiend for a cask of Amontillado, which Montresor knows all too well. Oh, uh, okay. I was wondering how Ken knew a booze question. <laughs> of course it was a cask of Amontillado. secretly a literature question. Ken, yeah. Ken, didn't uh, Orson Welles talk about that on an audio recording? <laughs> I think that was uh, Paul Masson's <laughs> sparkling champagne. Oh, okay. Ah, Amontillado. All right, we are over to question number nine. Category is I cramped just watching. Crimp, double heel hook, and dino are all terms that are associated with what physical activity? Uh, Okay, we're locked in over here. Yeah, I have a a guess based on the show. Um, We talk about wrestling a lot. And I think this was a move that my cousins used to do when they wrestled in high school. So I think I think these are wrestling moves. Secret of the Ooze? Uh, yeah, so we had a quick chat, and um, I don't really know, but we locked in with dancing. Uh, so from what I understand, a crimp is a type of handhold in this. Uh, in this. A double heel hook is where you bring up both of your legs onto a single rock uh, to try and get some movement. And a dyno is where you dynamically move uh, using your momentum to jump to another handhold. These are all associated with bouldering or rock climbing. Oh. Ah. Uh, Should have gotten that from Free Solo, I think. And uh, Neil, you're a big wrestler in high school, right? Oh, yeah. In the 120 weight class, uh, always wrestling up and... As soon as we got to the mat, I would just talk sweet nothings to their ear, and the match would just end right there. So that was my secret. All right. And our final question here in round one category is weird rituals. If you are not from Newfoundland, but are interested in becoming an honorary Newfie, then I've got a tradition for you. The Screech Inn, named after the Newfoundland Screech Rum, involves come from awares imbibing in a shot of the drink, a recitation of a chance, and kissing one of these fish, the region's once primary export and possibly a first-person shooter enthusiast. Ryan and I discussed, and we have an answer, so we are locked in. All right, so Jeff and I are kind of just trying to do some play on words with some first-person shooters. It's not really working out. Um, call, Let's see, Call of Duty, Counter-Strike. Um, so we, we did say uh, angelfish, joking around about Halo. Uh, angelfish aren't for eating so much so i doubt they're a high export but uh we'll say angelfish all right and uh, we had a similar discussion ryan brought up uh possibly quaker because there i think there's a game called quake um and we were in that direction for a little bit and i was trying to go over uh first person shooters um just famous ones or big ones and uh i kept coming back to call of duty and then when elliot confirmed that it was uh, the fish i know the acronym for call of duty is cod which is cod which is a fish so that's what we went with yep and you absolutely oh, picked guys, up on the clue there brilliant. you gotta kiss the cod got it oh man that's smart you did what i could not <laughs> uh after the first round it looks like scores are 60 uh for team secret of the ooze and 70 for team house of that jeff built is that what it is the house that jeff built the house that jeff built uh, well, uh, Elliot, before we hear what today's swing round category is, just want to remind everyone to join Elliot and Ryan over at The Crop on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram at TrivialityPod to interact with other listeners and uh, see what we're up to. So feel free to join us over there and have some fun. All right, Elliot, uh, take it away. What's the swing round today? Your swing round today is going to be you're going to hear 10 musical excerpts from various video games. I'll give you the year of the release the consoles it released on, and the composer of the score. You need to give me the video game that it's from. Giving just the series is fine. However, if the other team is more specific, for example, one team says Mario Brothers, the other team says Mario Brothers 3, the most specific will take the points. Mm, Interesting dynamic. All right, your first will be from 1987, released on the NES, and it was composed by Kenichi Matsubara.
Number two was released in 1992 as an arcade game composed by Dan Fordin. Number three, released in 1993 on the Sega Genesis, or the Master System, and was composed by Masato Nakamura. Question number four, released in 1994 on the Super Nintendo, and was composed by David Wise. Question number five, released in 1997 on the PlayStation 1, composed by Nobuo Uematsu. Question six, released in 2000 on the Nintendo 64, composed by Koji Kondo. Question number seven, released in 2001 on the Xbox and PC, composed by Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore. Question number eight, released in 2006 on the Wii, composed by Kazumi Totaka. Question number nine, released in 2007 on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC, composed by Jonathan Colton. And finally, number 10, released in 2011 on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC, composed by Jeremy Sewell. Alright, so we'll ponder over these songs, and we'll be right back. After some discussion, all of the answers are locked in, so let's go back to this list, Elliot. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, number one, we had 1987 on the NES, composed by Kenichi Matsubara. What'd you guys have for that one? Yeah, so funny enough, uh, it was the same coin flip between both teams. The uh, two answers were Castlevania or Contra. We went with Contra for this one. What did you guys have? We flipped the coin and we went the other way. We went with Castlevania. And Lady Luck is going to be on the side of Secret of the Ooze today, as this is Castlevania 2. This was Bloody Tears. Yes. 
Nice. Sorry, Ken. Uh, number two, we had 1992 arcade game composed by Dan Forden. Right. Uh, Here's another one where uh, we were kind of deciding between Mortal Kombat 1 and 2. I thought one didn't have the budget for this cool song, but uh, Jeff lobbied hard for Mortal Kombat 1. Let's see how it pans out for him. Interesting. Um, Neil, this is all Neil's one. He um, went the other way and said Mortal Kombat 2. And points are going to be going to the house that Jeff built this time. This is Mortal Kombat 1 ringing out through arcades all over the country. Mm. All right, Jeff immediately redeems himself. (laughs) Uh, We're over to number three, 1993 on the Sega Genesis and Master System, uh, composed by Masato Nakamura. Yeah, so this one brought me right back to my childhood. Uh, We were sure it was Sonic, and I think it's the snow level in Sonic 3 more specifically. So we said Sonic 3. We were not as specific. We weren't too sure. Uh, We just went with classic Sonic the Hedgehog. And Ken's got it with the Ice Cap Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog 3, which, fun fact, had a uh, a little bit of composition help from Michael Jackson, who was a huge fan of the series. Oh, that's why there's so many like... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're over to number four, 1994 Super Nintendo, composed by David Wise. Uh, I think... It's uh, Donkey Kong Country, and I, I'm pretty sure this theme comes back up on the Donkey Kong level in Super Smash Brothers. Ooh. Yeah, uh, Neil pointed out that this was uh, had a lot of drums, and that just sort of gave it away, and we also said Donkey Kong Country. And you're both correct with Donkey Kong Country, specifically the first one, and the title is Island Swing. All right, we're over to number five, 1997, on the PlayStation 1, composed by Nobuo Uematsu. What did you guys get for this one? We had an inkling uh, right from the start, Ken and I, that this was a Final Fantasy game because we were a big fan of this composer. And uh, right away, Ken knew it was Aerith's theme from Final Fantasy VII. I feel bad, Ryan. I I led us both astray. So Ryan right away said Final Fantasy, and he mentioned VII. And I remember as a young kid with PlayStation that Final Fantasy VII had that really um, thick double or triple quadruple disced release. And I, that's when I thought it came out, but it must have been a re-release because I said, oh, maybe that's too late uh, or too early for Final Fantasy VII to come out. So we actually went with Final Fantasy V. Yep, releasing on three discs, one of the first Final Fantasies to take place on the PlayStation 1. This is Final Fantasy VII Aerith's theme. All right, we're over to number six, released in 2000 on the Nintendo 64, composed by Koji Kondo. Yeah, so we were sure this was uh, Legend of Zelda. Um... And the question was, was it Ocarina of Time or was it Majora's Mask? And I remembered that the main uh, Legend of Zelda theme does not occur in Ocarina of Time. So we said Majora's Mask because it's the overworld music. Uh, Very good. We also thought it was a Zelda game. And we knew that Ocarina came out earlier, thanks to Motion City Soundtrack. But we didn't know the name of the other game, so we just said Legend of Zelda. Yep, and you guys were absolutely correct. The original main theme from the first Zelda does not show up in Ocarina, but it does show up as Termina Field in Majora's Mask. We're over to number seven, released on released in 2001 on the Xbox and PC, composed by Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore. Yeah, it really brings back some memories because this is the, uh, the overture uh, from one of our favorite games that we used to land all the time, Halo. Yeah, I believe this is Beyonce's favorite game. Uh, we also went with Halo. Yeah, this is absolutely Halo Combat Evolved, the first Halo game. Uh, We're over to number eight, released in 2006 on the Wii, composed by Kazumi Totaka. Yeah, um, Ken and I knew this one right away. This one's very fresh in my mind because, uh, funny enough, um, Angie and I dug out the Wii the other day and she kicked my ass at bowling, so I'm pretty sure this is Wii Sports. Yeah, this goes back to my flatting days when we would have um, bowling competitions, and that was, yeah, we also said Wii Sports. Yep, packaged with the Wii upon its release, this is indeed Wii Sports. We're over to number nine, released in 2007 on the PS3, Xbox 360, and PC, composed by Jonathan Colton. What did you guys get for this one? All right, so this is the familiar uh, song that plays over the end credits of Portal 1, specifically. Thank you to Ryan for this one. Uh, I recognize the name Jonathan Colton. Didn't know he composed anything for video games, but Ryan right away said it was Portal. Yep, sung by the character GLaDOS in Still Alive. This is Portal 1. All right, and finally, we're over to 2011, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC, composed by Jeremy Soule. What'd you guys get for this one? 
pretty sure the uh, Alduin on my bookshelf at home would uh, destroy me in a blaze of glory if I got this wrong. This is the Elder Scrolls Skyrim. Uh, we did not know this one, and I just went, it sounded epic, and it was around that time, so we just said God of War 3. Yep, and also releasing famously on the Amazon Alexa, this is the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. After the swing round, it looks like Team Secret of the Use is going to pick up 25 additional points, bringing their total to 85. And Team House that Jeff built is picking up an additional 45 points, bringing their total to 125 and the lead. So we are ready for round two, Elliot. All righty. Over to round two, question number one. Category is, at least it was better than the reboot. In 2008, actor Oded Fair was offered a chance to reprise his role as Ardeth Bay in this franchise's third movie. However, he reportedly turned it down due to him feeling his character would have no reason to follow the main cast into this film's plot. I wonder what he and Rachel Weiss did instead. Name the franchise. Uh, we're going to lock in Ryan, if you don't mind. I know it for sure. All right, so the only part of that question I really understood was Rachel Weiss. I don't know who that act- actor is. I don't know what the series would be. He's a really good actor. I just can't remember any movies he would have been in. Do you know any movie franchises that were in, like... Probably like the early 2000s that Rachel Weisz was in. All right, let's tap. Let's tap out on this one. I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, Ardeth Bay. Uh, he played the lead bodyguard for the tomb uh, in the Mummy series in the first two films. Yep. So Ardeth Bay was a member of the Magi, keeping watch over the tomb of Imhotep in the Brendan Fraser trilogy of the Mummy. He declined an appearance in Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, as he said, "My character knows nothing about China." Ah, uh, it all comes together. And uh, the Rachel Weisz clue is that she was uh, famously replaced in her character um, for her character in the third movie. Yes, yes, of course. All right, over to question number two in Hawaiian history. Master Roshi would be happy to remind you that this is the name of the founder and first ruler of Hawaii, which he unified in 1810 through strategic warfare against his cousin and peaceful negotiations with his rivals. His progressive leadership saw the outlawing of human sacrifice, effective trade through a monopoly on sandalwood, and past protections for the common people from the aggressions of the more powerful chiefs. What is the name of the founder and first ruler of Hawaii? We are good. Ryan, I think I know what it is, but I'm just curious what you're you're going to say, because you actually, I don't even know, is it near New Zealand? I could be way off on my geography, but you might have a better idea. Well, we're in, we're in the same ocean, um, but <laughs> not necessarily close. <laughs> Um, there was a dwarf planet. Is that the one we guy were thinking of? He's named after this guy. Is that the one we're thinking of? Possibly. And here, here's how I get to answer a lot of time and Jeff makes fun of me. So I could be way off. Okay. But, uh, I'm very up on what is getting bought and sold in Hollywood and whatnot. Um, Robert Zemeckis was going to, well, I don't even know if it's still in, in production or, um, development. He was going to direct a movie where Dwayne Johnson was going to star as, um, I'm going to mispronounce his name. Kama, Kama, Hamahe, Kama, Hamahe, I think is the name of the ruler. And there was like a big uproar because locals and all right, all right, all right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, Locals kind of opposed him playing this character, but I think it's Kama, Kama, Hamahe is the name of the ruler, I think. Okay, cool. Uh, Master Roshi's special move was the uh, Kamehameha, though he also spent an equal amount of time being a pervert. So, Kamehameha. Yep, the answer is King Kamehameha the Great or King Kamehameha the First. Give him points. Yeah, I'm going to give you points points. for that. That was pretty close. Well, uh, tell me. You would spell it the same way. I would spell it. the wrong emphasis. K-A-M-E-H-A-M-E-H-A. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Okay. Okay. I just said it wrong. Okay. All right, we're over to question number three. Category is, imagine the Swiss family concept, but in space. Having a bit of a diva moment, actor Jonathan Harris refused to accept the last billing in the intro to each episode of this 1965 sci-fi TV series. In what he viewed as a compromise, he called up creator Irwin Allen and stated, I've solved your billing problem. I will accept last billing as special guest star Jonathan Harris every week. Harris's demands were met for all 83 episodes, but the actors that portrayed the same stowaway doctor in the 1998 film and 2018 Netflix reboot did not receive the same treatment. Name the series. Yep, we're locked in. That movie was 1998, you said? Yes, 1998 oh, man. film. Seemed earlier, but yeah, we're locked in. 
Um, yeah, so we are pretty confident on this one um, based on the Swiss family Robinson. I think it's uh, the Robinson family, Danger Will Robinson and all that, uh, Lost in Space. Yes, we said uh, Matt LeBlanc, I mean uh, Lost in Space. Yep, uh, Lost in Space is absolutely correct. Jonathan Harris was the first Dr. Smith on Lost in Space and claims to be the beginning of the trend of also starring, guest appearance by, cameo by, etc., that ended up happening on opening credits, which he says was absolutely ridiculous. All right, we're over to question number four. Your category is four of a kind. Given these three lesser-known historical surnames, what fictional foursome might I be referring to? One of the four is intentionally being left out. The names are Di Niccolo Di Beto Bardi, Sanzio da Urbino, and Lodovico Buonarroti Simoni. You know, I really hope it's it's right. I practiced for it sounded minutes. good. <laughs> All right, we are locked in here. All right, so at first I didn't hear you say fictional, so right away I was like, oh, maybe it's the four tenors or the three tenors, like and you're leaving Pavarotti out. But then you said fictional, and we all know Pavarotti is not fictional. Uh, just like we know nar- narwhals are... And we know that Paganini is a composer. Yes, Pavarotti right. Pavarotti's a tenor. And Fettuccini is a noodle. Um, Ryan, it, could that be the three musketeers? I, I don't know if they were Italian, though, but let me think. D'Artagnan? Yeah, they were definitely French. Um... Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, we only know the Ninja Turtles. We only He's know the going. Ninja Turtles as the I've first been, I've been name. I've laughing my ass off over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be the Ninja Turtles, right? I mean, we only know their first names, but those are very Italian first names. I see. I see. Okay, well, I never would have picked that up, but well done. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so we're we're gonna go with the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, you left out the fourth one because it's uh, Leonardo, and that would have kind of given it away. But uh, we went with the Ninja Turtles, uh, starring in the Secret of the Ooze. So yeah, good thing I, you guys got it. <laughs> when you guys got that name, I uh, I started sweating a little bit. The famous individuals are much better by, known by their easier to pronounce first names of Donatello Di Niccolo Di Beto Bardi, Raphael Sanzio Di Urbano, and Michelangelo Lodovico Buonarroti Simoni, with Leonardo da Vinci being left out. These are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All right, we're over to question number five. Uh, Thank you to my brother Brenton for helping me figure out this one. This is your obligatory American football question. As of July 2020, only four teams have managed to win more Super Bowls than the Green Bay Packers. For 10 points, name two of them, and for a bonus five, name all four teams. I I was really hoping this question was about the uh, Midwestern emo band, American football, but uh, (laughs) I'm glad Jeff's got it, so we're locked in. Oh, all four. Okay, so let's go with the Steelers, the Patriots, the 49ers, and uh, who else had a lot? Uh, uh, Cowboys won three in the 90s, and they won a couple before that. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's go Steelers, Patriots, um, 49ers, and uh, Cowboys. Yeah, uh, we have a pretty similar exact list in the um, Patriots. We've got then the Steelers, we've got the 49ers, and how about them Cowboys? Yeah, both teams picking up a smooth 15 points on this question. Uh, Neil, you had it right on. Uh, the Packers have won four Super Bowls themselves. Steelers and Patriots have six wins apiece, and the 49ers and Cowboys have five apiece. All right, our question number six. Your category is falling for geography. This heavenly UNESCO World Heritage Site is the highest uninterrupted waterfall in the world. At 979 meters, it resides within Kanaima National Park, which is about 425 miles southeast from the country's capital of Caracas. Name this waterfall. Locked Yep. Yeah, pretty sure this is um, famous from the movie Up, Angel Falls. Uh, was it hard on your face, Neil, when you fell from heaven? Uh, we said Angel Falls. Yep, absolutely. And uh, just like Ryan said, the inspiration for Paradise Falls and up, this is Angel Falls in Venezuela's Canaima National Park. All right, we're over to question number seven. Your category is comic book read you. Marvel and DC are no strangers to what ifs and multiverse storylines that involve the heroes you know and love, but with a twist like now they're pirates in Batman Leatherwing or now they're zombies in Marvel Zombies. I want you to tell me the name of this 2003 Superman comic run. 
that saw the Kryptonian land in the USSR rather than Smallville, where instead of fighting for truth, justice, and the American way, he fights for, and I quote, as the champion of the common worker who fights a never-ending battle for Stalin, socialism, and the international expansion of the Warsaw Pact. Name this title, which is a reference to not only the Soviet setting, but also one of Superman's non-Kryptonite weaknesses. All right, we are locked in. Ryan, I think we're on the same page here. I know the cover art, uh, it's pretty, I don't know the right word to say, communistic, I suppose. Um, but uh, we went with Red Sun. Yeah, I think I learned this from your brother, Neil, while we were playing, um, what was that DC fighting game called? Injustice. Uh, one of the costumes for Superman is a reference to that. So Red Sun. Yep. So Superman's powers on Earth actually come from the radiation of our yellow sun. If we had a blue sun, we would see an even more powerful Superman, but a red sun will drain him quickly. The comic series Red Sun is the correct response. And yes, I also found out about this through Injustice. Look at all these questions you're getting from the video game realm. It's crazy. (laughs) All right. Question number eight, not video game related. Your category is Catholic math or mathlic. Take the number of Beatitudes multiplied by the number of wise men that visited Jesus's birth divide by the number of apostles in attendance at the Last Supper, and finally, add the number of days and nights it rained while Noah was on the ark. And don't worry about order of operations, just go in the order that I gave the question. All right, we have done the math, and we are locked in. Okay, Ryan, um, you figured out three out of the four numbers. Um, I don't know what beatitudes are. It makes me think of beatitudes, like Beyonce. I don't think that's right, but... um, what number are you thinking that is, that first number? Because you have everything else figured out. Yes, uh, well, despite going to Catholic school, I don't actually know what this is. Um, but we just wanted to find a nice number that was divisible by 12. So we thought it might be 8, which means 8 uh, times 3. Um, what was it? Divided by 12 apostles plus 40 and end up with the answer to everything, which is 42. Our numbers were exactly the same, but as you were talking about it, I realized that I don't think Noah was actually on the ark for 40 days. I think that was a different Bible story about the desert. Um, So I think we're wrong, but we also ended up with 42. Uh, Luckily, you didn't have too much time to overthink that because the answer is indeed the eight Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, by the way, are blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, etc., Uh, There are eight of those. There are three wise men that visited the uh, birth of Jesus, gives us 24, divided by the 12 apostles, gives us two, and the 40 days of rain and uh, 40 days and nights of rain gives us 42, the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Uh, Lucky us. Good job, everybody. All righty. We're over to question number nine. Category is Europe's Forgotten War. In August of 2008... Russia launched an attack against this former USSR-controlled nation after the latter sent troops to quell rebellions in its regions of Abkhazia and South Ossetia. Five days later, the war was over and Russia had successfully established their military dominance on the region. What nation did Russia invade in 2008? I just got an idea on this one, so we'll go ahead and lock in. So, Ryan, I said Crimea. You said Ukraine, which Crimea is in Ukraine, you said? I don't know what is the best official answer, though. Well, um... They're asking for the country, so Crimea is not a country, so we said um, Ukraine. Ukraine. Yep. Um, I know Ukraine. I'm pretty sure that was 2014 was the invasion of Crimea. So we said Georgia, because I kind of remember that happening either end of end of the Bush presidency, I want to say. Yeah, so confusing some Americans when the headlines ran across the news stations, uh, Russia did indeed invade Georgia in 2008. I remember those headlines now. Yep. And you're absolutely right on that as well, that uh, Crimea invasion happened in 2014. All right, our final question in the second round is the music of inevitability. In the soundtrack for Matrix Revolutions, composer Don Davis chose to title the climactic battle between Neo and all of the Agent Smiths, Neo Damerung, a portmanteau that fuses our protagonist with the German word for twilight. This is likely a reference to this classical composer's Götterdämmerung, the final piece of work included in their ring cycle. Name the composer. I believe we have this guy. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Twilight isn't. What about like? Oh, I'm thinking of Moonlight Sonata. Jeez. Okay. I was like, oh, I got it. It's Twilight Sonata, but it's Moonlight Sonata. You're thinking about Robert Pattinson again. 
I know. I'm always thinking about Robert when Pattinson. When do you not think about Robert Pattinson? He's going to be in leather <laughs> as Batman. I'm excited. Um, oh, you know what? If if Ken knows it that quickly, it's probably because of the Matrix, but he also loves Wagner. And no, I think it's Wagner, not Brahms. I always mix those two up, but maybe it's Wagner because he, he is a, a Wagner. I don't want to say he's a fan. I want to put words in his mouth, but he enjoys the occasional Wagner as we all do. Cool. I'm happy with that. Okay, that's my yeah, game. I've got nothing else. That's my game theory. Because if Ken comes in that hard, it's probably about Wagner. I'm cracking up over here because <laughs> this is like the hundredth time that the ring cycle's been brought up on this podcast, and every time I know it just Wagner, keeps coming up and up, you, like it's you going never around know, and you around. You never know it because it's Wagner, and it's the ring cycle again and again and again. You just know it. Oh well, Ken locked in pretty quick, so maybe it's Wagner. <laughs> right at the last second all the time so yeah it, it is wagner <laughs> absolutely culture tamarung standing for the twilight of the gods uh is the final piece with valhalla in flames and wagner's ring cycle and i, I do like wagner okay i'm not like an aficionado like I, I don't listen to classical music all the time i'm not that sophisticated but uh, i like wagner okay you're right well i'm glad i i remembered it or my game theory worked I, yeah, I had no idea it was going to be Wagner. I just, it was all based on, on game theory. So I'm glad I got there though. That's for sure. After regulation, the scores going into the final round are team secret of the use with 180 and uh, team the house that Jeff built with 220. Your final round categories today are preschool, kindergarten, elementary, high school, and university all the wagers are locked in elliot it looks like team the house that jeff built is pushing all of their chips in they're going to be going 30 all the way down going big and maybe going home maybe not and team secret of the use is going 20s all the way down so those are our wagers for the final round so let's hear those questions all right your first question in preschool originally thought to only manifest in the childhood years what is the psychological term used to describe the brain's ability to adapt and change based on stimulus? Examples of this in action include learning new skills, sociocultural conditioning, and psychological stress. Your second question in kindergarten, winter squash, maize, and climbing beans are collectively known by what familial term, originating from the fact that these three crops thrive when grown together? In elementary, here comes some elementary humor. This nice element that sounds like it has a lisp is a silver gray metal that's soft enough to be cut with a knife at room temperature. Named after a Greek word referring to the area of Scandinavia, what element is atomic number 69 on the periodic table? Its element symbol may also help you determine where some goods originated from. In high school, in Bowling for Soup's classic High School Never Ends, we learn that the whole world can really fit into basic high school era tropes, such as viewing Reese Witherspoon as the prom queen and Bill Gates being captain of this team, which may also feature members like Hikaru Nakamura or Benjamin Feingold. Finally, in university. In the 1930s, John Adonassoff was a physics professor who was sick of doing tedious linear algebraic equations by hand. Frustrated with his lack of solution, he hopped in his car to try and forget about his problems. When he finally came to Earth, he was crossing the Mississippi River into Illinois, 189 miles away from his desk. He parked, popped into a local bar, got a drink, and scribbled down on a napkin the plans to build the first ever fully electronic computer, now known as the ABC. What university was Professor Adonassoff working at when he laid a foundation for the future of technology? All right, we're going to discuss these and be back with our answers. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the Chart Topping Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages, teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures.
Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All the answers are now locked in. Let's go back to those questions and give our answers, Elliot. All right. In the category of preschool, uh, what did you guys think was originally thought to only manifest in the childhood years, which is the psychological term used to describe the brain's ability to adapt and change based on stimulus? All right. For this one, I believe we settled on neural plasticity. Well, that sounds pretty good. Um, I We didn't know very well. Um, I thought it might be um, cognitive development. <laughs> Yep. And the latter half of the 1900s, there was some research that proved that adults still held a degree of neuroplasticity. All right. In the category of kindergarten, what did you guys think was the collective familial term used for winter squash, maize, and climbing beans? Uh, we weren't sure, but you said familial, so we went with sibling. Uh, again, that sounds pretty good. We didn't know. We um, were trying to think of... Uh, familial terms but we nothing came to mind the only name that we had was brasilica it doesn't sound like a family but that's what we locked in with uh originating from native american agriculture practices these are the three sisters crops now we were close but not quite there uh in elementary humor what did you guys think was atomic number 69 uh, yeah i'm pretty sure um from the greek that this is thulium and that seemed to fit with the lisp so that's what we locked in with, thulium. Uh, another one that sounds good. Um, yeah, we were just going based on the lisp thing, and I thought bismuth sounded a bit lis uh, lispy, so we locked in with bismuth. Yep, with a symbol of TM, which is uh, a trademark which can help you figure out where goods came from, atomic number 69 is indeed thulium. Over to high school, in Bowling Pursuit's classic High School Never Ends, uh, what is Bill Gates the captain of? Well, finally, I think you guys are going to gain some ground on us on this one. But uh, I don't know. For some reason, we just said fencing. Seems uh, rich, like a rich person's sport. Yeah, if I remember the lyrics correctly, uh, I think Brad Pitt was in there as the prom king, possibly. But I believe uh, Gates was the uh, head of the chess team. Yep. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, she's the prom queen. Bill Gates, captain of the chess team. Correct. And finally, in university, which uh, university did you think that John Ananasoff was the physics professor at when he created the future of technology? Yep, I think that uh, while Iowa is west, um, you're probably not looking for the university because that's not that far from the border. So we said Iowa State. We had the same line of thinking. Um, I know the, the miles were very similar to when I would trek to University of Iowa, but uh, I heard Iowa State earlier in the recording and game theory led me uh, toward that direction. So we also said Iowa State. Yep. So after three hours in the bar, John Adanasoff drove back to his office in Ames, Iowa at Iowa State University. In that bar, he determined that the best method for creating a computer would be to use electricity, use binary rather than base 10, and to do direct action calculation rather than numeration. Uh, well, my math, uh, I'm pretty sure is right here. I believe we lost 20 points, uh, after all of those questions. Uh, so we're down to 160 here at secret of the use. And it looks like the house that Jeff built ended up picking up 30 points. Uh, so uh, that brings them to 250 and makes them today's cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. All right. We're, uh, we're sister crops, right? Jeff? <laughs> uh, right, Jeff. <laughs> yep. I well was done. too busy doing the macho man impression off mic. Sorry. <laughs> great game uh great game guys uh ryan you were yeah, also a lot of fun you're an awesome teammate so i, I know we, we tried yeah we tried our best <laughs> but, uh no that um that uh halftime 
halfway around uh, really did um, take a, take it out of us a little bit, but that was a really cool game. Really loved it. Well, thank you. I'm for glad you guys had fun. Yeah, it was great, Elliot. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us uh, and for playing along, for being a Patreon supporter as well. Uh, any last words from you? Uh, nothing. Just um, be safe. And um, yeah, thanks so much for having us on. Cheers. Of course. Thank you for, for joining us and for getting up early for this recording uh, down in Auckland. Uh, Elliot, uh, this was an awesomely written game. A lot of great video game references. Uh, we appreciate you putting it together. Uh, anyone you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah, so I wanted to thank all the people in the crop that kind of helped me test this. Uh, so thank you to uh, Haley, Dave, Nathan, Matt, Kendall, uh, Louie, and Leslie, and Dylan. Uh, you guys all gave me some really good feedback, and I uh, hope hope this kind of showed through. Uh, I also wanted to say uh, support your local music education programs. And it's never too late to learn how to play an instrument, even if you think you're too old or don't have enough time. Uh, try something out. See see what it, uh, see how it goes for you, and it'll be a lot of fun, I guarantee you. Great message the there. The waiting for you, you know. It is. It's actually really easy to play. It, it's, it takes very little air. It's got a very intuitive fingering system. It's it's great time. Uh, well, uh, speaking from, uh, we got three drummers here and a, a sax and a clarinet, so... Uh, um, you know, two woodwinds and three bangers tell you to follow music uh, education. And it's an important message. Um, well, thank you very much, both of you. As we said before, you're both Patreon supporters, both United States champions, and we appreciate that. If you'd like to join them, you can go to patreon.com slash triviality podcast for extra audio content, stickers, posters, individual character boxes. Um, and if you'd like to support the show, it is uh, very helpful, especially during a time like this. We appreciate both of you being here. We hope Matt is doing well. Uh, doing whatever he's doing. Um, But for Ken, Matt, Jeff, Ryan, and Elliot, my name is Neil, and that was Triviality. Now, now Neil, you you mentioned um, Backstreet Boys earlier, and uh, I can't get it out of my head. Um, You know that part in that one song when one of the Backstreet Boys says, am I sexual? And all of his bros in the background, just without hesitation, go, yeah. Yeah, that's you know uh, that's everybody yeah. and would that's you, Nick. Would, would you guys do the same for me? I don't know if you would. Yeah, I'd say it. I mean, you have to wear a team, right? We got to do it despite... Am I sexual? Yeah. Um, all right, so you think so, but Jeff doesn't care. So See, right, I, we know I, where everybody stands now.